Halloween and Fed Week. How does that fit together? We got Dave Collum joining us here in a few short seconds to discuss. Welcome back to SF Live. Thanks for joining us here. And uh, I'm joined by Dave B. Collum here in a few short seconds. He's a professor of organic chemistry at Cornell. But we're not going to talk about chemistry today. We're going to talk about markets. Dave is a great commentator on it. And I uh, really like picking his brain. I recently ran into him in New Orleans. And we decided to have a follow-up conversation here now. And uh, I've interviewed him a couple months ago. So it's it's quite timely because we got the Fed meeting coming up here in a few short days. And, uh, of course, it's Halloween as well. So I'm really curious what spooks him today and uh, what he's looking at. So a bit of a Halloween theme, and uh, Dave, great to have you back on the program. It's good to see you. Ah, it's always fun to chat. Glad to be here. Yeah. How how was New Orleans? How, how are things? And uh, how was the conference? Well, um, I had four independent gigs at the meeting, and 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 so I I came but somewhat somewhat tired, um, somewhat exhausted. I talked my ass off, um, and as you know, twice I just mentally boned it and. Uh, and stiffed you on it on an interview so i, I wasn't going to bring it up but uh, yeah. oh yeah <laughs> no i have to apologize and i i i i just i'm the, the whole conference is just blur so um so anyway, man i brought i seem to have brought COVID back with me and my wife got it too and it's just a bad cold basically but uh um I'm, I, i'll be coughing occasionally through the talk hacking up crap so oh, that's all right um, i the mute button for that but uh, Dave, like, sort of, um, your 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 presentation was the merits of price gouging, right? So right. I'm I'm really curious. Drill down a little deeper because I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, and I'm still waiting for the links to some of the presentations to be shared here. Um, but what what was your presentation about, and what did you want the investors to sort of walk away from your talk? Well, it was you know it wasn't so much about investing. Whenever I go to these meetings, besides panel discussions, which are targeted towards things like you know boom and bust with Bookvar and, and Jim Stack and guys like that, um, that I, I I try to go a little offbeat so that uh, so that I don't overlap with you know how do you talk about silver gold you know overvaluation things like that. So that's not gonna. It's not gonna be easy to do. So I usually pick an odd topic. I've talked about 401ks. I've talked about um, um, I've talked about I talked about climate change last year and how it's the world's most expensive hoax and things like that. Um, this year I talked about the merits of price gouging, and it, it followed some themes. It it basically followed the theme of of when there is a uh, uh, when there is a uh, some sort of natural disaster that's predictable or or at least the probability of one is predictable. You should be prepared. So I put a big emphasis on that and how, you know, if, if you live in a hurricane zone and you're buying plywood at um, uh, three days before the storm, you already blew it completely. Um, you should have that somewhere in your garage or whatever, if you can. Uh, I talk about I talked a lot about being ready for serious shutdowns like food shutdowns and stuff like that and how you really for a very nominal sum of money you could have you know rice and beans in your basement and worst case scenario you give it to uh, you give it to some food kitchen and and start all over again but but I think people um, have lived in this utopian world where they're they're simply not ready for anything and I, I, that that I think is a mistake then you get into the price gouging part um 
which is always considered a bad thing, but who's going to price gouge? It's not going to be Walmart. They're not going to raise prices. In fact, they're going to bring in more goods if they can. It's not going to be your local local store owner because he's gouging his neighbor. So that's not going to happen. So so the price gougers turn out to be the guys who are going to, you know, load up the back of their pickup truck with um with generators and gas and maybe a truckload of ice or something. And, and they're going to leave work and they're going to take a financial and even physical risk and they're going to come down and, and there's a potential profit to be made. And if they're clever, they'll have a card swiper and whatever. Um, if you treat them with disdain and even worse, if you treat them um, with uh, legal sanctions, then, then they won't come. And then the question is, what did you benefit from that? And, and the answer is nothing. And so you, a free market would actually um, let the price gougers come. The price gouging would come down to a reasonable level. I think the uh, supplies that were desperately needed would, would be more heavily priced because of these risks that the person has to take. Um, but you don't have to buy it. And uh, I, I think there's times where you know, doing the right thing is is would be better but not everyone has the resources to do that so i I think you really do not want to suppress price gouging i hammered fema and things like that they they suck um and then i then i went at the drug companies who until fairly recently i backed but i realized that the the drug companies which really haven't made that phenomenal profits over the last 20 years if you actually look at their stock price their dividends they're, they're not printing money um, what they are, however, is, is they're, um, they're an aging industry, which is coming up with fewer and fewer really marketable drugs. And to compensate for that, instead of shrinking a little bit and focusing better, they, they've turned to crime and, and corruption. And when I talked about the ownership of the FDA and the fact that, that it really is a, a criminal enterprise of a higher order. And, and that sort of not only gets at the whole COVID story, but also um, just the, the, the drugs that are being marketed to us that don't do anything. And they literally demonstrably don't do anything and how the FDA clears them anyways, because they, why not? Um, it, it really is a truly corrupt situation. So first you read Kennedy's book about, about Fauci, and you, you get a real sense of how bad he is. And, and I don't see I could read it without projectile vomiting. Um, uh, and I urge people to read Kennedy's book. If you think Kennedy's a nut, explain to me how some guy could go up against pharma without being, uh, without being smeared. And uh, 75% of TV's advertising is pharma. And, and as a consequence, the media will never go against pharma. And uh, and then you got these drugs, these Me Too drugs that are not an improvement, but are on patent and the doctors prescribe them and they make billions of dollars off these drugs that are no better than Tylenol or Prilosec or something like that. Um, and, and, and so it really is a criminal enterprise. And I was tight with pharma for many, many decades and, and I never saw it, but it's because I never saw the clinical studies region of that industry, which is where the real corruption is. They rig clinical studies, they, they load them up, they fake them, they do all sorts of stuff. And, and not sure every company does, but you know the bond rating agencies did a pretty bad job of rating bonds and got us into 0809, the, the, the FDA and the, the, um, the, 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 the companies that do the clinical trials for pharma um, if they don't come up with good numbers, they're not going to get the next gig. So they, they, they rig the, the clinical trials too.
And it's an awful story. Second book to read is John Abramson's um, uh, Sickening, which is a little less political because it's clear that Kennedy hates Fauci to this very core where Abramson is just talking about the criminality of it all. And, and that's worth reading too. Was there a trigger that prompted you to this? And um, I'm just thinking while you were chatting, it's like I just read an article that uh, Pfizer is raising prices for the COVID vaccine, 220 bucks. They used to sell it for like 20 or 30. Now they're sort of quadrupling prices. Um, well, was there a specific trigger for you to, to, to prompt that uh, that topic for the presentation? Well, um, first of all, let me point out that Pfizer's revenue should drop to zero. So um, they can raise it to $100,000. I think that would be, they raise it to $100,000 per vaccine, they would save many lives. Um, I don't think the vaccine works at all. I think you can make a very strong case. The case that you can't make yet, and, and I'm, I'm confident this is true at some level, is, is how many lives have been lost or shortened because of the vaccine. So for example, we don't yet know if people are gonna die at, from a heart attack at 65 instead of making it to 85. Um, I think there's a very good chance that the, um, that the vaccine did subclinical damage on everybody. And, and it's a gradient and some people got really sick. Remember the people who felt like crap for two days, some people died. And, and in between those, those two and, and below those two. So what happens if you've got subclinical myocarditis? What happens if you've got subclinical uh, microclotting in your brain or, 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 or other places? You die 10 years from now, no one's going to know what it came from. Right? It's just going to be off radar. So I, I, if I had to bet a paycheck, I would bet that, that that's a big problem. I, I don't think that's a stupid theory. Well, New Orleans was a conference. A lot of investment topics were also discussed, right? Right. Um, gold, silver, U.S. dollar was a, obviously a dominant one. And uh, during the week of the conference, we also had uh, CPI print as well. So that was a dominant topic of conversation together with the Fed pivot. I think if I had to pick one keyword of the conference, it probably was pivot because um, everybody was hoping for it because everybody thinks, oh, the market is going to turn around once the Fed pivots or the Fed has to pivot and everybody's looking for reasons for that. Um was that also a key takeaway? Because I saw you in the green room a few times. You chatted with a lot of the, the, the speakers and panelists. Um, what was one of those takeaways from you, like one topic that you've heard over and over again? Well, I, I planted my flag in the contrarian side of that story, and that is I think there's there's two views. One is that, do, uh, that, um, that uh, Powell is a creature of the swamp and that he will tap away on inflation until something bad happens and then he'll stop immediately and pivot. Um, I'm not convinced that's true. Uh, Powell is also a, a, a man of wealth and power, possibly aware of his legacy. And does he want to go down in history as Arthur Burns or Paul Volcker? And so uh, there's that question. And I think, uh, I, I, it, it, we're all just guessing, of course, but, but I think Powell... I think this lately they've been jawboning a softening of their stance, but I think that's just like tapping the brakes on black ice doesn't mean you're safe yet. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm not convinced that Powell's going to pivot. I think he's going to take possession of this. I think he's going to, he said he's going to cause pain. He, it was his word, not mine. That's not a metaphor. He said it's going to be painful. And I take his word for it. And, and I, he also could be a coward. Um, he's getting tremendous pressure already from from the fact that the financial system is so over financialized and so over engineered that when we tap on the brakes, 
people all over the world are smashing against the windshield. So, so then the question is, does he care? Uh, this won't be over until we have, you know, WorldComs, Enrons, Layman's. I, I think, I think those. It's it's possible those are already baked in the cake. So it's possible he's already he's already pulled the trigger. The 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 you know the bullets whistling down the chamber, and we're just waiting to see what happens. And so the other view is that 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 um, my other concern is that he pivots and it doesn't do any good. I, I think these these Fed induced V bounces may be a thing of the past with inflation smacking up against us. I think it's quite possible that they just do not have the ammo left to um, to bail out the system without looking like complete assholes. I, I just I, I just don't see. I don't see it as as an easy thing. Um, you know, when Volcker hammered the brakes, um, he didn't have to worry about the integrity of the system. It wasn't unstable the way it is now. So, um, I just I just don't know what the I don't I don't know what's going to happen. But I do think it'll end in tragedy, as uh, Edward Chancellor's latest book would say. No, there's there's a few things I want to follow up on. There's and let's start maybe I don't would say the obvious one, but if you keep raising rates, eventually your interest payments will get really high. And uh, conference host Brian London had a really interesting presentation on how much interest the U.S. would actually have to you know, sort of choke on every year, sort of have to pay. Like, I think at four and a half percent, it's close to a trillion dollars. And then it becomes a political issue as well because you can't sell that anymore to your constituents. Um, so that's sort of like for me, one of the very few reasons Powell would actually stop raising rates because the, the debt burden slash interest payments are getting too high and the U.S. can't service them and eventually will have to be very creative or raise their hand and say, okay, we're done. Right. Where, where do you, is that a valid argument? Or well, where do you well see I think we're, I think you're describing a hopeless situation, what I like to call stage four cancer. So, <laughs> so you're talking to your oncologist and they're giving you the various options, but effectively what they're saying is get your affairs in order. Um, if we can't raise rates because we're that far into debt, then we're screwed. If we do raise rates, we're screwed. And so, so there, there's there's no way uh, I don't I don't see a way out of this one without being screwed. Uh, we we with 40, 50 years of boneheaded monetary policy um, and boneheaded fiscal policy. Um, I'm starting I'm starting like in I'm starting to believe that we're going to hit as you said we need another end run we need another crash or a black swan event something to clear clear and clean the system. Right, I, I just see that happening. We need something. Well, but the Enron break, they right? they papered the Enron they papered over with trillions of dollars. Right? No, no one saw yeah. that coming. No, no one. Uh, tons of people saw the problem coming. Tons. When they say no one saw it coming, that's that's totally baloney. I could name three. I could probably identify a thousand people now, who who I could show on record said we had a problem coming. The, the mortgage crisis was so obvious. Um, what no one saw coming was the level of intervention. So when um, Bear Stearns was bailed out for 30 billion, people were gasping for air, right? They're going, holy moly, I didn't see that coming. Um, the problem is, is that we then put trillions on top of that, an estimated 30 trillion, actually. Uh, I don't, I've, I've not run into anyone who claims to know anyone who got within an order of magnitude in terms of some people said, well, they would do whatever they, they had to do. So I knew they'd do it. I go, no, you, that's not a call. Uh, that, that that's, that's not making a call. No, it doesn't fit together. Uh, I don't know. As you said, we're, we're sort of headed for a wall, but uh, one other thing you mentioned is 
the Fed softening its stance, like even slowing down. Um, ju- just at the end of the last week, I've seen reports, or somebody mentioned, I think it was one of the Fed, I don't know, men, Fed men for lack of a term, <laughs> saying, well, the December might only be 50 basis points. Um, I was a bit shocked by the reaction of the market because I thought that was baked in a long time ago because I heard 4.5% uh, interest rate was sort of the goal anyway. And then uh, slow down in December and see what happens sort of. Um, how, did that surprise you at all? The Fed softening its no. stance a bit, like the messaging there. No. no, because first of all, they lie, so so you don't know what they're actually going to do. You only know what they say they're going to do. Second of all, this is they're trying to do a controlled burn, right? They're trying to they're trying to let the air out of the bubble. Um, history shows it doesn't work, um, but they're trying anyways. And so it's again tapping the brakes on 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 black ice. You know, you're trying to find some way to get the car to go a little slower. Um, and so uh, so you you do a little bit, and then you and then you try to be careful, and you, you don't want the whole thing to turn into an apocalypse. And, and I think it eventually will, but I, I, I don't think uh, I don't think the Fed will just go headfirst into the apocalypse with no occasional breaking and things like that. I just I, they're trying to find a way out of this. Right. This is they're doing heroic surgery on the system now. Absolutely. Um, how does the U.S. dollar fit into that? For me, it's a potential trigger and what is happening sort of on the cur- uh, currency side that could cause further issues down the road. Um, Saudi Arabia talking with the BRICS nations about maybe le- leaving the petrodollar system and joining the BRICS. Um, how, how does that fit in? And what's your opinion on sort of the U.S. dollar current strength and then upcoming weakness, perhaps? Well, so I think all of that fits under the idea that um, we have a problem with uh, reversing globalization. And, and this, this is also a topic of discussion amongst those who worry about these things where, where um, the world has been globalized. One of the arguments is that Bretton Woods was not only a currency agreement, but it was, it was an agreement that the US would also project its unbelievable military strength around the world to support global trade. And so we have, you know, eight, 10,000 mile um, um, of supply chains that, that wouldn't exist if the high seas were just filled with pirates. And so I'm kind of a Monroe Doctrine guy, but have realized in part listening to various key players that, that projecting strength has been of critical importance to keeping the global economy uh, doing what it does best, and that is producing the goods where they ought to be produced most efficiently. Um, I think there are pretty good arguments made that the globe, the age of globalization may be over, ending. Um, <clears throat> of course, it won't be fast, but you know, World War I showed up. Uh, we had globalized like crazy right before World War I. And was, there's no way you'd have a war, no one would win. Well, who says you have to win in a war, right? It's just a stupid carnage. And so World War I really brought the end of an era, brought the end of an era of monarchs. It brought, it, it really put the foot on globalization until finally after the war, we kind of got our stuff together. Um, I, I, I think that could be happening. Uh, end of globalization means um, a deep-seated uh, systemic inflation because you're not making the goods in the most efficient ways possible. So as we talk about onshoring goods production, which I totally get, um, I think, I think you know, going deeper into debt to buy goods from China for the last 40 years has not been a wise move. But 
but now that pack of a uh, half a dozen tube socks, um, it, it targets going to cost a lot more money. It's just, it's just not going to be cheap. Oh, that's a, that's so. a good point. Like I've been mentioning that in a couple interviews with, uh, with guests as well, like reshoring, like just, just looking at the price levels, $15 an hour. Uh, it's just, uh, I don't know, just me as a pragmatic, just looking at it, it's like, as you said, tube socks are going to have, going to have, going to have to be more expensive. Right. Right. Um, how much stress is the U.S. dollar under right now? Because it feels like everybody's looking at the Fed and the U.S. dollar right now for for gold and silver, sort of making the pivot to the precious metals here. But the uh, U.S. dollar in particular is, has the precious metals uh, in a tight grip. Like, how much stress is it under? And like buzzword is currency stress because I saw that in one of the tweets you retweeted of, of an mm -hmm. interview. So, right. Um. The U.S. dollar, you have to be careful because it's graded on different curves depending on who you're talking to. So um, the U.S. dollar as a currency used by Joe Sixpack sucks. I mean, we've got a pretty good inflation inferno burning right now. So <clears throat> by that model, the U.S. dollar is weakening badly, right? The buying power stinks. Um, in the Forex markets, which are basically a big, complicated casino where different currencies are all being being traded with different currencies so it's on a totally different curve right uh, they the dollar can be very strong while it's still depreciating like crazy relative to anything you actually care about so so right now the dollar seems to be strong i don't believe it's something so simple as um as you know a rush to dollars in a sort of a necessarily a conscious way but rather the um The fact that the whole system is metastable, the fact that the whole system is um, is is a bunch of nonlinear equations all superimposed upon top of each other. So it's it's an emergent system. So remember back in 2019 when the repo spike started, right? I spent hours talking to people. I spent one, one Saturday and I spent two hours talking to Grant Williams about what the hell was going on in the repo market. And we got the end. We said, we don't know. We, we just couldn't piece it together. And so um, it. it You in an emergent system that is so complicated, you don't know why all of a sudden things just start spinning out of control. They just do. It's like a mob, right? What what triggers a mob? What triggers bank runs? You know, it just they happen. There's some little event that that that, that flips a switch and and off you go. And so I think I think uh, I think we can have a terrible currency crisis. It has nothing to do with investors conscious decisions as much as just uh as much as the system's too over leveraged and 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 not subject to price discovery uh interesting commentary there it's like while you were chatting i was writing down a question that popped into mind and humor me but back back in the day meaning four or five years ago when we had the old president in the u.s uh, donald trump there was a the make america great again theme based on a weak mm -hmm. u.s dollar Right. Mm -hmm. Right now, we're we have a very strong U.S. dollar, and you just mentioned that the deglobalization, reshoring, sort of is the next theme. So, in order to make America great again, do we need a strong U.S. dollar so we can buy input material cheaper? Like that's sort of where my brain just went while you were chatting, and I'm curious, like how that fits in, and uh, whether the narrative's done a complete 180. I, I, you know, I, I don't know, and the problem is, is I'm not sure people who think they know know. Um, because it, it would seem to me a strong dollar would be to our advantage because we can buy goods cheaper, right? I, it, it just, 
So, so it seems to me for us, it would be disinflationary. But again, in an emergent system where things are all interconnected, a strong U.S. stock, it's like when, um, it's like when they let Lehman go. They didn't seem to understand that things were about to happen that, they, that were off their radar completely. And so AIG derivatives division collapsed. AIG didn't collapse, by the way. That was a farce. That was a, that was a, a, a crooked, that was an illegal taking of the, of the company AIG. AIG, the derivatives group, which was ring fenced from the insurance group, was about to implode and destroy various banks. And so they didn't see it coming. They didn't realize that when they let Lehman go, that that would trigger that event. Um, is it something that a person could know or just maybe the level of knowledge would be um, would be that, you know, things will start breaking. You don't know what. So you weren't there. But on the panel discussion, Jim Stack opened up. What a legend. He opens up and he says. He says um, he says you can't he made this comment about you can't see a bubble till it's over, which sounded very green spanning to me. And I, I just flat out disagree. He followed with some statements that told me that maybe he misstated what he really meant. So I jumped in and said, well, you know, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to challenge that idea. um, If for no other reason to take on the legendary James Stack. And if I I win, I'm going after Mr. T next. Um, And and I said, I think you absolutely can see a bubble. What you can't see are the dangerous connections within it. They are opaque. So you, you can't see the things that are, when they start breaking, what will happen. But, but I think anyone, I think Helen Keller can see a, a bubble, can see the bubbles. They're, they're pretty straightforward. You know, when, when, when the equity market is twice historical fair value, that's pretty, pretty much a bubble, in my opinion, because it's got to give back that 50% at some point. The housing market in 07 was so obvious. I wrote about I wrote about the collapse of the banking system in 02. I swear to God, I wrote about it in 02 to a friend of mine in Goldman. I've got the email. He's got the email. I published the email. And the only thing I got wrong was I thought JP Morgan was going to go belly up too. In fact, I thought they were going to be ground zero. So you could see the bubble. The first writings on the housing bubble were in 98, 99. The, the thing was starting early. And, and But the question is, but can you see what's the consequence? And that's not so clear. Historians know that very bad things. I, I recommend Edward Chancellor's book, The Price of Time, which I thought was going to be a review, but it was much better than that. And um, he basically says every time you force rates low, force them low rather than they, they go low, um, then, um, th- then you, it ends in tragedy. And if the rates are legitimately low, then it means you're in a terrible economy because the rates are competing with productive assets. And if you're getting 3% on treasuries, that means the market's saying, I'll take 3% on treasuries um, in competition against these, these, these companies that are obviously not producing crap because, because they'd be more valuable than the 3% on treasuries. So, so if, it's a, if price discovery is legitimate, low rates are a sign of terrible stagnation. If, if rates are forced low, um, there are evidence that bad things are about to happen. And it has happened every single time, every single time. Last question for you, Dave, and it's sort of picking up the thread on seeing the consequences. Next Tuesday, we got midterm elections, right? Uh, November mm-hmm. 8th. Um, do you see any consequences coming out of that? And what could they be? Well, I think it's going to be, 
Well, there's two outcomes. One is that it'll be a Republican romp and the other one is it won't. Um, if it's a Republican romp, it doesn't mean that anyone who thinks Republicans getting power back is gonna save the system is delusional. They're as bad as the Democrats. The advantage of the Republicans being in power is if you happen to be right of center, the baloney they throw at you is more digestible. So, so you kind of like the message, even though they're lying to you and doing all the bad things. Um, I think the Democrat Democratic Party really is filled with incompetence now. I think they have no leadership. They have no bench. They have no one to turn to. You look at the president, the vice president, the, the speaker of the House, whatever. Everything looks like a disaster in the Democratic Party. So as a consequence, just out of in, in a rational world, they should be sent to the bench to regroup to get their game together and come back with a more rational platform, more rational behavior. And so it, it should, they, it, they should get a timeout period. And, and they, they should then move back to the middle, which I thought Biden was going to do and give the power to the Republicans. So if that happens, um, we will have a period of um, pain for the Democrats because they'll think everything a Republican says is bad and tranquility for the Republicans. Cause they think that, that they think that Republicans make more sense, that the, the RNC makes more sense. If the, if the Republicans don't um, romp, um, I'm simply not gonna believe the election was fair at all. I, I, I'm, I'm a big believer that elections are rigged. Um, I think they've been rigged for years. I mean, they've been rigged for eternity. They've been rigged since they invented elections. But I think the 2020 election was, I'm a bit, I'm a, an election rigger, right? I, I think it was rigged at a profound level. And, and if for some reason the Democrats hold power again, I, I just won't believe it because I think they stink so badly that I just, I, it, it's like saying, you know, we put, we put a, a girls basketball team out on the court and they beat the, the Lakers. It just, it, you, maybe, I mean, it's not physically impossible, but they better start draining shots pretty fast. Um, and, um, and so I, I just, I, I will not believe the election and, and that'll be a problem for me. Um, I think the election rigging is not a big problem when, when both, both candidates or all candidates are vetted by their system. So when, when we got a Democrat and a Republican running against each other under normal circumstances, somehow the collective Borg of politics has said, yeah, they're both acceptable candidates. It's, it's pretty rare that, that they're not vetted by the parties. And the parties agree that the parties want to stay in power. And there's a 97% re-election rate. And so they all agree with that too. They, no one wants to give up their seat. And they all agree they don't want to give up their seat. So incumbents love to get reelected. And so they love the system as it exists. And any impact on the financial markets? Do you expect anything to happen? Do we should be bracing for something or just uh, hold, hold I don't our, think so. open our wallets and start spending again once the elections are no over. no i don't, oh, I don't know that. i'm just trying to trigger a reaction <laughs> um, no i i no i think you should close up your wallets and stop spending um um no i i don't think it's predictable remember remember how bold the predictions were that when trump got elected the markets would crash right the predictions are, are of no value right those kind of predictions are i don't think in general geopolitics makes much of a difference until we got to 2021 uh, 2022, excuse me, and and all of a sudden, 
Um, every imaginable politician in every major country made decisions that were horrifically bad for the global economy, horrifically bad for the state of energy supplies. And so the decisions were so bad, you know, shutting down nuclear plants right when we don't have natural gas and, and, and shutting down farmers while it contemporaneous to talking about a famine across the world. You know, it's just nothing, nothing made sense. I do have some theories as to why that they did it that way and they're dark. Um, but it, 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 uh, I would have to say that, um, the odds look pretty good that this winter is going to suck pretty badly. Now, I will not be shocked if we get to the end of the winter and we say, well, you know, nothing happened. I won't be shocked by that because, because that then is consistent with the model that we're all just getting fed a lot of crap, a lot of baloney, a lot of stuff that just, that just to keep us on the edge of our seats. And if, if we get to the end of 2022 and at the end of the winter and, and there was no famine anywhere and there was no, uh, it's like Y2K, right? There was no, uh, there was no uh, shortage of energy after all we've heard. Then I'll just say, okay, these are all just, these are, this is just propaganda. And I've read a lot of books on propaganda this year to try to understand propaganda and we're getting in spades. Definitely. No, that's uh, it, it's tough, especially sitting here in Germany, right? We're sitting at 97, 98% gas reserves right now. Like they're 98% full and we're still talking about a tough winter. So, well, so here's the question, how many reserves what percentage of a winter supply is represented by a full reserve? So, so I'm guessing that, 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 that you don't have enough tanks and storage facilities to, to go through the entire winter. And so this is where guys like Doomberg come in and he's, he's a very smart guy well, he's and he's fantastic. very, very, he's very scary. I know where he comes <laughs> from. I know who he is and he is a, uh, he is a very smart guy and he, he's, he is preaching doom about, about the inability to store enough energy to get through the winter. No, no it's, as long as we keep some, some supply coming in, but the reserves are full and like natural gas prices are coming down. So the market is telling us something as well, but uh, I think I'm getting too far out of myself and too far down a rabbit hole. But Dave, I really appreciate your time. It was fantastic chatting with you. Time has flown by already. I can't believe it. I, we got to catch up early in the new year to see how mm -hmm. uh, the midterm election sort of played out and whether we have been fed a lot of crap and to uh, see how we're going through the winter. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. And uh, everybody else, thank you so much for tuning in. This was SF Live, a spooky Halloween episode. We didn't make it as spooky. I should have hung up some spiders behind me as well. But I uh, really appreciate you tuning in. Thanks for following us here. Hit that like and subscribe button. I know roughly 80% of you are not subscribed to the channel. Let's change that. Let's bring that number down and uh, leave a comment. What do you think is going to happen? Or how are you getting through the winter? And much, much more. Put that in the comments. We want to hear from you. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll be back with lots more.